day today. You know, I never cease to be amazed at the changes that can occur in the human physiological state. I ran into a friend, former co-worker, the other day, and uh, I was amazed at how much weight he had put on. And I said to him, man, what happened to you? He said, well, the doctor said he watched my weight. Uh, so I'm putting it where I could see it. Man, how much do you weigh? He says, oh, just enough so I won't float away. But I guess you were wondering whether we were going to be talking about weight problems tonight. From what's in the bulletin. Yes, we are going to be talking about weight problems. But we're going to be talking about not the weight problems that we would normally be accustomed to. But we're going to be talking about some spiritual weight problems. How much do we weigh spiritually as opposed to physically? Two women were in the bathroom, one, and I wasn't there. <laughs> Let me make that clear. But they were talking about their weight. And uh, one lady said, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be serving the Lord if I had a better shape than this, or if I had less weight than this. And so the other lady said, well... Um, I'm quite satisfied with, you know, how, how much I weigh. And, uh, and so the other lady says, well, the, the good thing about it is at least I've got a Coke bottle shape, even though it's 16 ounce. But what do we think of when we think about our spiritual state? If we turn to our Bibles, uh, Daniel chapter 5, I want us to consider the story of Belshazzar. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of, a, of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubine might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels... That, he had, that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. King saw the back of the hand that had did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. Boy, he must have been in terrible shape. The king called aloud to bring in the, jur the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners. King spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, And any man who could read this inscription and explain his interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles 
Queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in, in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, and Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because of an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight of interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. You go down to verse 27. Daniel comes in to make a long story short, and he gives the explanation to the king. And one of the things that he said was, Tekel, verse 27, you have been weighed in the balances or in the scales and found to be deficient. Or as the King James would put it, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And so consider the story, the drunken feast, the profane use of the vessels taken from the Lord's house, uh, the handwriting on the wall, the seeking for one to read it, Daniel's call and his explanation. Thou art weighed in the balances or in the scales of God and found wanting or found deficient. And of course, it was figurative, it was a figurative expression uh, that Dan, of Daniel's indictment of Belshazzar. Who should have known better? If he had thought back about what his father had done, he should have known better. And he should have been able to humble himself in the presence of God when he remembered what happened to his father as a result of his father not humbling himself and having to be made like the animals and live like the animals for his disrespect of the Almighty God. But he hadn't learned. He had not learned. And it's a reminder to us that as it was with Belshazzar, there is a waiting time coming for each and every single one of us. We don't think too very much about that. But there is a waiting time coming for us too. And we want to remind us of that because there's a tendency as we go on in our lives to forget Paul says to the Romans in chapter 14, Therefore, each of us will give account of himself to God. Each of us. He says to the Corinthian Christians, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. And so there's a waiting time coming for each of us, just like there was a waiting time for Belshazzar. We, too, will be confronted with that challenge. You have been weighed in the balance, but the question is, will we be found wanting? We need to often step on the scales and weigh ourselves. Paul gives us this counsel when he talks to the Corinthian Christians. He says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Examine yourselves. And that's what it really means to weigh ourselves, to step on God's scale and weigh ourselves and see whether we measure up or whether we are just simply lightweight. Job's response to his friend Eliphaz was the same thing, and it goes all the way back. Even in Job's time, Job is conscious of the fact that we will all at one particular point in time be weighed in God's balances or in God's scales. And this is what he says to his friend Eliphaz. He says, oh, if only my grief could be weighed 
and my misfortune laid on the scales too. And in vindicating himself, he says, let him weigh me with honest scales. Then God will discover my integrity. And of course, we know Job is, is the oldest book in the Bible, and if it goes back that far, then we need to consider whether we are weighing ourselves on the scales of God's balances. And so as Christians, we need to be interested. We need to be concerned about our spiritual weight problem just as much as some people are concerned about their physical weight problem. And of course, the difference is obvious. We usually try to take off weight, at least some people do, physically, but we always need to put on weight spiritually. There is always a need to put on more weight spiritually. We can't afford to take off spiritual weight, put it that way. We should always be growing, adding more spiritually. There's no such thing as an overweight spiritual person. There's no such thing. As long as we are in this life, there is a need to continue to grow, as we'll see as we go, go on. And so let me ask you again, how much do you weigh? How much do you weigh? Three overriding questions we want to leave with you tonight. The first one is, on which scales, on what scale does God weigh us? On what scales or balances does God weigh us? Well, first of all, let's look at what scales he doesn't weigh us on or what scales he doesn't use. First of all, he doesn't weigh us on the scale of our own wisdom. A lot of people feel as if they know everything that they need to know for themselves, about themselves. And as a result, they weigh themselves on their own wisdom. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah says. Lord, we know that people do not control their own destiny. It is not in their power to determine what will happen to them. Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but the end is the way that leads to death. And again, Proverbs says, all of a person's ways seem right in his own opinion. But the Lord evaluates or weighs his motives. There is a tendency for us to weigh ourselves on the scale of our own wisdom and determine that, hey, I'm okay. I'm all right. But are we weighing ourselves on God's scales? The Bible says the one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. No. The scales of our own wisdom is not good enough to weigh ourselves. We need to weigh ourselves on God's scales. And so it's necessary for us every now and then to step on God's scale and say, Lord, how am I doing? Am I found wanting? Let's not wait until we get to that point that Belshazzar got to. It ought to, be, it ought to be a continuous process. We are constantly going before the Lord and saying, Lord, how am I doing? Just like how we do when we go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, if those who, of us who go to the doctor for, for annual physicals, Lord, how am I doing? How's the old ticker ticking? We ought to be doing the same thing in going before God. And so the scales of our own opinion is not good enough. Those are not the scales that God weighs us on. He doesn't weigh us on the scale of public opinion or popular opinion either. Many times we have a tendency to go along with the crowd. Well, if everybody says it's okay, it's got to be okay. There's a very popular self-justifying excuse which says everybody's doing it. 
How often have you heard that? Everybody's doing it. So I guess it's okay for me to do it too. We should also remember whenever we hear that statement or we have a tendency to fall for that statement, we need to be reminded that everyone can be wrong. Everyone can be wrong. It not necessarily means that every, because everyone's going in the right direction means it's the right direction. Or everyone's going in the same direction means it's the correct direction to go into. Everyone can be wrong. In Romans, Paul writes to the Roman uh, Christians and he says, No, indeed. God tells the truth even if everyone else is a liar. So there's, there it is. Everyone can be wrong. He says, Your words will be proven true. In the court, you will win your case. But also we need to be reminded that the majority can also be wrong when we read the verses of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 7. He says, enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. Everybody loves wide places and spacious places, don't they? Well, the Bible tells us that you got to watch out for those places because they often lead to destruction. But he goes on, but the gate that is narrow, the way is difficult, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. When you step on God's scales, don't be surprised if you are the only one that's doing it. It's expected. Even Moses. Moses says, a multitude may be doing evil deeds. He says, you shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside after the multitude in order to pervert justice. And so not necessarily because the crowd is going in that direction means is the right way. Multitudes can be wrong. No, the scales of pop public opinion or the scales of popular opinion are not the scales that God uses. So we cannot really go by what so-and-so said and what the other one said and, and add them all up and say, well, if five people are saying the same thing, then it's got to be the right thing. No, those five people could be wrong. But we're not also, we're not weighed on the scale of comparative excellence either, as some people would like to think. It's been a long-time human weakness to compare ourselves with ourselves. In fact, Paul addresses the uh, believers at Corinth uh, in this regard when he says, for we would not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who recommend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. What is he saying about those people? who compare themselves with themselves, or who use the scales of comparative uh, excellence to determine what their weight is as far as God is concerned. He says they're ignorant. They're ignorant. And so we cannot use the scale of comparative excellence. That's not the scale that God uses either. And so if he doesn't use the scale of our own wisdom, if he doesn't use the scales of comparative excellence, and he doesn't use the scales of public or, or popular opinion, what scale does he really use? Well, we've been thinking about it tonight. The scale that God uses is the scale of his word. 
That's the scale that we ought to be stepping on daily. This does not include human creeds. Now, there have been a lot of creeds that have been written based on the word of God. But the, the scale that God uses doesn't include human creeds. It includes the pure, undiluted word of God. And that's what Paul tells us when he addresses young Timothy in this regard. He says, every scripture is inspired by God, not man, not by popular opinion, not by the majority. It is inspired by God, and it's useful for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So, when was the last time you stepped on God's scale of his word to weigh yourself? And what is it looking like? How much do you weigh? Peter tells us that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. How much do you weigh? Are you using the proper scale or balances to weigh yourself? Well, think about this key point. For a fair test, put the Bible on one side of the scale and yourself on the other side. When you compare yourself with God's word, you are ready for the weighing. When you compare yourself with God's word, then you're ready to step onto God's scale and say, Lord, how am I doing so far? Many times we don't want to do that because we are afraid of what the scale will read. Isn't that so? We're afraid. And so we keep putting it off. Oh, I'm going to wait. Oh, I'm going to wait. And some of us are going to wait until we get to the point where Belshazzar was. God says, God will say to us, you've gone through your whole life. And I've found you to be sufficient. Then what will you do? But the next overriding question that we're confronted with is not only on what scale does God weigh us or what scale does God use us, but do you weigh enough? Or are you found wanting? Do you weigh enough? Or are you found waiting? Well, first of all, do you weigh enough in, in the knowledge of God's word? How much do you weigh when it comes to the knowledge of God's word? You see, it's disastrous to be a lightweight in this area. And there are many people who have gone through, who have lived their lives for many, many years as, as believers, and they're still lightweights in this area. They have no desire or no concern for the knowledge of God's word. They're satisfied with simply being saved. It's a fire insurance policy, really what it is. There are those individuals who are saved, satisfied, and unfortunately stuck because they have refused to weigh themselves in the knowledge of God's word. Lightweights as far as God's scales of balances are concerned. And so one cannot be a Christian without some knowledge of the word. Sadly enough, there are many who don't have the kind of knowledge of God's word that God requires in order that they may fare well when they step onto God's scales or balances. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 14, How are they to call on one they have not believed? 
in? And how are they to believe on one they have not heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? Now, guess what? This word is for all of us. Who are they he's talking about? And who are they who are supposed to be preaching to those who need to hear the preaching? Normally, we would say, oh, we leave that for the preachers. But guess what? We're all preachers. Every blood-bought child of God has the responsibility to communicate the word of God. And so if we're unable to do that, we are deficient when it comes to being weighed enough in the knowledge of God's word. One cannot compare mature spirituality without knowledge. Acts chapter 20. And now I entrust to you, God, the message of his grace. This message is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. And even the prophet Hosea weighs in on this issue of weight. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It's amazing how many of God's people are. So much so that they can't stand up to those who don't have the truth. Like the JWs. You'd be surprised at how many Christians who have the word or who's supposed to have the word, duck and dodge those people when they come around. It's not that they don't want to talk to them. They can't talk to them. Because as far as the word of God is concerned, they have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And as a result, those other folks that's going out and they're doing all the things that the believer who has the genuine, the true word of God ought to be doing. It's disastrous. To be without a knowledge of God's word. Disastrous for the believer and disastrous for those that they come in contact with who they need to be reaching with the word of God in order that they may be saved. And so it's a disaster all around when we think about it. Why is it a disaster? Because it unleashes the power of zeal without guidance. It unleashes the power of zeal without guidance. Romans chapter 10. Paul says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God on behalf of my fellow Israelites is for their salvation. That should be the desire on all of our hearts, for anyone that we come in contact with, for their salvation. Verse 2, he says, for I can testify that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not in line with the truth. For ignoring the righteousness that comes from God, they seek their Seeking instead to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And so we can see how disastrous it can be. But the other question that we are confronted with is, do we weigh enough with regards to our faith in Christ? First of all, do you weigh enough with regards to the knowledge of God? Secondly, do you weigh enough with regards to your faith in Christ? According to James, some believers may have some faith, but not enough. When you step on God's scale, do you weigh enough with regards to your faith in Christ, or will you be found wanting? James says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. John says, nevertheless, even among the the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess Jesus to be the Christ so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise 
from God. Where do we stand? How much faith must one have to be able to be weighed in God's balances and not be found wanting with regards to our faith in Christ? To be a Christian, one must not have enough faith to obey the word of God. To obey with simplicity what the word of God tells us that we ought to do. Go into all the world, the word says, and preach the gospel to every creature baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Enough faith to obey that particular command. Do you have enough faith to do that? Or are you found wanting? Have you been found deficient in that regard? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so as a child of God, one's faith must grow by desire. The apostle said to Jesus one time, Lord, increase our faith. That's the desire that every child of God ought to have. For our faith to be increased. An ongoing desire more evident when we step onto God's scales. That will be one of the things that will be most evident, that we have a desire for our faith to grow. According to James, faith is shown by works as well. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Even though one claims to have faith, if he does not worship God, does not live right, does not love the brothers, or the brethren, that person is a lightweight. And when he stands on God's scales, he will be found wanting or found to be deficient. How much do you weigh? When you step on God's scales, will you be found wanting? Do you have enough faith to obey God's commands? Will you compare what you have done to what God requires? Will you make this comparison in what you did in the process of becoming a Christian? And will you make this comparison in other areas of your Christian life? Do you weigh enough to obey God's commands? And if you're not obeying God's commands, then there's a question of what your weight is like. So we need to consider that. How much do you weigh in the matter of good works? That is also an issue when we step onto God's scales. Revelation 3.2 says, Wake up then and strengthen what remains. That was about to die because I have not found your deeds complete in my sight. What horrible words for God to say to a believer. One can be a lightweight in this area as well. I have not found your deeds complete in my sight. Those are words you don't want to hear God say to you. I wouldn't want to hear them. You have not been found complete. Your deeds have not been found complete in my sight. Paul draws a picture of what it should look like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what he says. Chapter 15, verse 58, he says, So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always outstanding in the work of the Lord. 
Always, not sometimes now. Not hit and miss. He says, always outstanding in the work. Now, that's not going to be easy. There are a lot of things that the enemy has put in the way. He has a more, what you might call an obstacle course. You're going to have to do some, some forward flips and some back flips to be able to accomplish this. Outstanding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does it mean? That means that we ought to be not be complaining about the work that God has called us to do. He says, outstanding in the work of the Lord. Nothing that we do for God is in vain. In fact, the Bible tells us that God created nothing in vain. Even the thorns out in the fields have a purpose. Outstanding in the work of the Lord. Our purpose in life should be to do good. That's our purpose. And it all comes into the perspective as well as how much we weigh when we stand before God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, not half good works. For good works that God prepared, and get this, beforehand that you may do what? Walk in them. So the good works that we are required to do, God prepared long before we came along. And so if we find that we are not doing those good works, when we get to that point where we step on the scales, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be found deficient. Just like Belshazzar. You will be weighed on God's balances and found warning. Why? Because God prepared the work in advance. All you needed to do is carry it out. And we didn't. And so he's prepared us in advance for good works. But then the third overriding question that we must ask ourselves and answer is, are you gaining weight or losing weight? And that's the bottom line. Are you gaining weight or are you losing weight? Growth is normal, but growth is also essential. What would happen in the minds of a parent or parents if they have a child and the child doesn't grow? What do you think will happen in the minds of those parents? If Anna stays exactly where she is, do you think Anton and Marissa would be happy with that? Oh, they'd go off to the doctor and find out, what happened to this child? She ain't growing. She's supposed to be bigger than this now. She's 14 years old and look at her. I still still don't have no teeth. That's the concern of parents, natural parents. So what do you think about how God feels when he has children who have been in the faith for so long and they have not grown? And so growth is normal. Just as it is in the natural process, it is normal in the spiritual process as well. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a command. Grow. We're commanded to grow. Growth is expected. He also says, and many will follow their debauched lifestyles because these false teachers, the way of truth, will be slandered. Those are people who are not growing. For though you should be, in fact, teachers by this time, 
You need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances. You have gone back to needing milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he is an infant. For the solid food is for the mature whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern both good and evil. We wonder why believers find it difficult to do that which is right based on what the word of God says because their perceptions have not been trained to discern good and evil. Why? Because the growth process is not taking place. In other words, they're losing weight. They're not gaining weight spiritually. What would happen if you go to a restaurant and you order a nice steak? And the person comes and he brings you a baby bottle and some baby formula and some baby oatmeal. What would you think? Huh? What would you think? Something wrong with him, right? What do you think there's something wrong with you? And this is where we are when we fail to grow, when we lose weight. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, we're like babies. We can't handle the solid stuff. We need infant formula. But growth is also desirable. As we mentioned, parents expect their children to grow, and the same is true with the children of God. In Christ, one never reaches total maturity. It's a continuous, ongoing process of growing toward maturity. And Paul outlines this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not despair. But even if our physical body is varying away, our inner person is being renewed. Notice, it didn't say have already been renewed, but is being renewed day by day. It's a continual process of growth toward maturity. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions about Christ and move on to maturity, not laying again this foundation of repentance and dead works from faith in God. And there are believers today who are continuously laying that foundation. They have been saved 20 years, and they've got 20 years of foundations. No building. Just putting foundation upon foundation upon foundation. They have not grown beyond that. And this is one of the things that will be weighed when we step onto God's scales. We cannot be spiritually overfed. And here's another key point you want to remember. If you forget everything else that is said tonight, don't forget this one. Okay? You cannot be spiritually overfed. You cannot. It's impossible. But malnutrition is an ever-present danger. It's always evident before us. The issue is not a shortage of food. The issue is a shortage of appetite. How is your appetite? Let me say that again. We cannot be spiritually overfed. But malnutrition is an ever-present danger for the child of God. The issue is not a shortage of food. We get plenty of food. In fact, the food we have is inexhaustible. Do you realize that? Inexhaustible. It never runs out. It's new. How many times have you picked up the Word of God and you read a passage of Scripture today? And then you read it tomorrow, and God said something else to you from that same passage of Scripture that he didn't tell you the day before, and then you read it next week, the same passage, and he tells you something else from that Scripture that you didn't get the first two times, and then you do it a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time, and you get something different every time. 
It's not a shortage of food. It's a shortage of appetite. How is your appetite? Your appetite will determine how much weight you put on. Because if you have a desire for it, you're going to eat it and you're going to grow. But if you don't have an appetite, you don't eat. If you don't have an appetite, you don't eat, right? How many of you don't have an appetite and you eat anyway? The problem is a shortage, not of food, but of appetite. And so we can measure our growth by measuring our maturity now as compared with the past. This is one of the ways we can weigh ourselves. Measure our growth by measuring our maturity now as compared with the past. How are your Bible study patterns now compared to a year ago? Is it different? Has it changed? What about two years ago? How is it? Five years ago, has it changed? Make the same comparison in other areas of your life as well. Church attendance, giving, commitment to Christ. All of these are indications that we have to measure how much we weigh. These are indications that we can use to step onto the scale daily and weigh ourselves. As Paul says, examine yourselves, see whether you be in the faith. And so one day we're going to be called to step on the God scale for the final time. And it'll be a tragedy if we were to get the words that Belshazzar got. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Terrible words. You don't want to hear it. So what are we going to do about it? The question is, as we drive home tonight, the question that we, made, we ought to be rolling over in our minds over and over is, how much do I really weigh? Am I gaining weight or am I losing weight? Lord, what do I need to do? That ought to, question, that ought to be the question that should be rolling over in our minds as we go to our homes and our places of abode. Now, if there's ever a time, now is the time to start growing if you haven't taken that step already. It's a consistent process. It's a lifelong process. We never reach total maturity in this life. We ought to always be working toward it. The question is, are we willing to do that? How much do you weigh? You don't have to answer that to me. That's an answer that you need to, that's a question that you need to answer as before the Lord. How much do you weigh? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you tonight that you have reminded us of how important it is to take care of the spiritual matters in our lives with regards to our standing before you. We think of Belshazzar and how he was found wanting when placed on your scale. We pray, Father, that each of us would look at our own lives and examine how we are doing weight-wise to determine whether we are allowing ourselves to be weighed by popular opinion, by our own wisdom, by our comparative excellence, to determine, Lord, whether we are gaining weight or losing weight. We thank you for the reminder because all that we have heard tonight, Father, we have heard it all before. 
some of us many times. So we pray, Father, that you would help us to heed your spirits prodding upon our hearts and determine that we will establish a right standing before you in order that we may indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen.